Today's episode is supported by Vivo Barefoot, whose mission is very close to my heart. There's something incredibly powerful about feeling the ground beneath your feet. It's more than just like walking or running. It's about forming a connection with the earth, a connection that most modern footwear has unfortunately severed. Vivo Barefoot aims to mend this disconnect by making footwear that's wide, thin and flexible, enabling natural movement. Born from a long lineage of cobblers, Vivo Barefoot carries a rich heritage of craftsmanship and a deep understanding of what makes footwear truly beneficial for us. Enjoy the discount code HARVEST15. Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. My biggest dream that it's that it will be realized one day and that it's a lighthouse project because especially in times of climate change and radical social transformation and high level of uncertainty, we need positive visions about the future of human development that inspire and provide meaning. And we need these places where this can be experienced and where it's lived and where it then can inspire a lot of other communities. So it's really about creating that that lighthouse. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Kaplankaya with Ralf Orat. Ralf is a visionary entrepreneur reshaping the world through transformative technologies. In this episode, he shares his journey to build a village of the future in Switzerland, a playground and lab for groundbreaking innovations and societal evolutions. So before we talk about Ralph's project, let's ask him about the big trends concerning technologies and cities. Why and how do you think the communities should be empowered and which communities are we talking about? Well, first of all, I think it's important to highlight that technology is not the end, it's a tool to use. And when I talk about uh, empowering regenerative communities through technologies, it's usually to strengthen their resilience, but also to make yeah, communities more regenerative. And maybe I can give you some examples. Uh, so we're basically seeing three, I'd say three mega trends. So one is decentralization, digitalization, and automation in various sectors. So when we first talk about infrastructure technologies, with the tools we have available now, we regenerative, circular, and highly automated supply systems. So if we look in the energy sector, in the future, I could imagine that now we're mainly consumers, but we will be prosumers, so producing and consuming renewable energy and exchanging that energy in a on a smart microgrid, which makes a community very resilient. 
Another example is in agriculture. So we see farming is coming more and more into cities. So cities will become greener. We have technologies like urban permaculture, rooftop farming, vertical gardens, which again strengthens the resiliency and level of self-sufficiency of communities. The same with manufacturing. So more and more objects can be 3D printed on site with biodegradable and recyclable materials while the designs are shared globally. And I think this is an important aspect. It's not just about localization, but it's actually how we called it in, in our white paper is cosmolocalism. So you have highly autonomous and regenerative you know, cities that act as nodes in a larger collaborative network. So what is a cosmolocalism? Uh, If you look back in history, we had these tribal societies, right? So it's not about going back there. Because we have global problems that, that need to be solved on a, on a global level. I also like the term that uh, I think Jeremy Rifkin used is a biosphere consciousness to have. But at the same time, we need to act local. So the idea of cosmolocalism is that you have a high level of local self-determination and resiliency, but at the same time are interconnected in this collaborative network where you share knowledge, designs, data. But do you mean they're on the same territory or not? Maybe you're familiar with the, the book that came out called The Network State. So I think it's a quite an, an interesting idea that in the future we might have virtual metaverse nation where you're a member, maybe a member of various virtual nations, and they have nodes in the physical world. So I could imagine this is a direction where we could head towards in, in the future uh, when we usually talk about beyond the nation state, like physical boundaries. When you think about a community, you gave me already some needs, mm -hmm. like uh, for energy, farming. What are the different uh, needs of a community that you take into consideration? But other examples are, let's take digital currencies. So digital currencies, what is the opportunity is that new technologies, for example, let's take the blockchain, enables communities to design new monetary and economic systems that align with their values and their vision of what life in a um, desirable society could look like. So again, it's, it's a tool. And as an example there, I think it's the one I'm most excited about and I think is very urgent that we have an ecological currency where we internalize negative externalities. So for example, when we buy a product, we usually don't pay for the CO2 emissions that product has. So the idea would be that a community or a city can introduce such a currency where each product has an environmental price that takes that into account. And when you buy something and it has a higher environmental footprint, you need to allocate more of your ecological currencies mm, to that. Okay. And when you run out of them, um, you can still trade it on a peer-to-peer -peer market, but there's an overall cap. Now, the important question is, okay, where does the data come from? And with more information technologies, also sensor, we can measure the health state of our planet. So indirectly, it could be nature or the digital twin of nature that determines how many of these currencies are into circulation. So this would create a symbiotic relationship between 
nature and the economy through the price system. So this is just one innovation in that area of digital currency. Can you so, explain more about DAO, the project? Yeah. So the idea of a DAO is basically to have a member-owned community with encoded rules. So we have our core team, which is like the inner circle, but then also various in, in the Web3 community, it's often called thematic guilds or work groups, um, where people usually are not full-time working, but they're collaborating their various tasks uh, you can do and earn tokens for it. And also voting is an important aspect. And there are also some exciting models, like for example, a, a liquid democracy. It's another example. It was it was not really feasible to do it in the past. So the idea, for example, of a liquid democracy is that you can better leverage the collective intelligence within a community or a society so that instead of having a re representative democracy, you can either directly vote on issues or delegate your vote to someone you believe has more expertise. And this person can delegate it again. And at any time you can recall vote if you believe it's not used in the best interest. So there vast space of possibilities opening up with technologies and we don't say we have the answers but we want to create like this experimental field where we can test that with a community and if it works better that some processes we have in today's system this is like an innovation ground we're creating with the project yeah. so before coming to um the village, uh, your next generation uh, village project. I wanted to finish with the negative potential sides of uh, technology yeah. and asking like, when technology doesn't work, can a whole city be uh, paralyzed if we're relying too much on uh, technology? That's why I'm, I'm also talking about decentralized technologies that maybe as an example, uh, th there was one experiment they did in a, in a small village in, in India when India had one of the largest blackouts in history. They had installed like solar panels on the roof, had the small neighborhood grid. And when all the lights went out, that small village had still the lights on. Mm. This is an example how you can decentralize technologies. Yeah. But the other aspect to that question is the dependency. And I mean, we become very dependent on the technological tools we use. So this is something we definitely need to be careful of. And also when we look at social media, all the, the echo chambers that usually the content you see is just based on in the past what you searched or, or your interest, it has it can have some very dangerous dynamics. So when we use technologies as tools, we are always aware of what is the social dynamic that creates and this is in, in the center. Now let's explore the village of the future. Ralph and his team have made great progress in this project. Since our interview, the beta version of the digital project has been launched, marking a very important transition towards the physical initiative. While negotiations with the Swiss government and private property owners are ongoing, the successful completion of the funding round and placement of a purchase order have set the stage. But the question remains, how did this all begin? If we could start from scratch, 
let's say, on a, on a new planet, freed from all the path dependencies we have in today's system. How would we rebuild our societies in a healthy and regenerative way using the technologies available? And then the next question was, okay, why do we have to do this on Mars and cannot do it on Earth? So we want to create an experimental village or district of the future in Switzerland that serves as a societal living lab to prototype and test regenerative infrastructure innovations, but also new monetary and governance systems together with the pioneer citizens, with startups, corporates, universities in a special regulatory zone. And the reason for that is when it comes to systemic innovations, it's often very hard to introduce that in existing villages and cities. For example, in Switzerland, we voted on a system where private banks are not allowed to create money anymore through the extension of the balance sheet. And, and another um, example was a universal basic income. But the risk is just very high to test something like this with a whole country or with a whole city. So this is what this special regulatory zone is for, to really progress and uh, bring the brightest minds and creators and peoples from various fields together to co-create the solutions in that environment. And when we have proof of concept, transfer it to the outside world. So what's the size of this village? Do you have a size? Mm. Yeah, currently we're negotiating with various regions in Switzerland, but also in, in Germany to see where we can build that because we need a critical size. We want to definitely go below the uh, um, beyond the Dumba, famous Dumba number of 250 people, where usually people know each other, it has completely different dynamics than when you have a larger community. And we calculated that we approximately 12, need 12 to 15 hectares, which is quite big for Switzerland, in order to really test, being able to test systemic innovations. In order to get there, and that was a question like when we had this vast project, how, how do we get there? And we had to break the vision down into various smaller projects that each provide a standalone value, but all align with the long-term vision. Um, so the idea is that you can already experience what life in a regenerative and thriving society of the future could function in that virtual environment. The goal is also it's an, an education platform in that sense, but also you can become a citizen and contribute in various uh, work groups and earn tokens, which will then have a utility in the physical hubs. And this is also what, what we are parallel building currently. So the first living lab hubs that already embody the culture and the community we, we'd like to create. So it's, it's not that we start with the big thing right away, but first go virtual, build the community, align the community around a shared vision, then crowdfund the, the physical hubs, um, already test some things there. And the last project that is, is part of that ecosystem is we call it a regenerative developer kit, where you as an area or city developer or as a community can virtually configure a regenerative district. So basically it's built on an existing digital twin platform. And then you can select various modules for example, a digital design of a regenerative building or prefab building or agricultural modules, energy modules, and integrate it into the virtual district. And then it tells you what is the CO2 footprint, what is 
the the impact it has also what is the cost so mm. this also de-risks the phase to build it physically because we can simulate a lot virtually first so in your village who are the villagers <laughs> can you tell me more about them yeah so first to to build the village it's probably going to work similar like in a company where you first recruit people with certain skills right so and there's a quite diverse skill set we need so people who are passionate about about farming about the energy system mobility uh, manufacturing architecture currency system governance culture arts um, philosophy so this is also how our team is set up so we're very diverse uh, group and this is also what will be mirrored in the village of the future but what's important it's not a gated community where it's just the citizens among themselves but we plan that uh, basically maybe 50 to 60 percent is the citizens and the rest of people from the population who can live there experience it and then carry what they experienced in that environment to the outside world it's also a test bed for corporates and startups and universities and NGOs. So it's this kind of a semi-permeable membrane and not a boundary that is around the village. So that's, that's important for us. What's your yeah. biggest uh, challenge in this project? There's several challenges. I mean, an obvious challenge is always the, the funding part, right? So in the beginning was the question, okay, who's going to fund a project that is of that scale that might take up to eight to 10 years until it's realized. So that's why we also broke it down into smaller projects. And another challenge, especially in Switzerland, is the land. In other countries, I think they have other challenges, like how do we get people there because it's quite remote. In, in Switzerland, everything is close together. You have an existing um, innovation ecosystem. So it's really about finding the land where we, where we can build and also getting this special regulatory zone where we can then experiment. But our strategy is to get as many stakeholders that are already working on all these solutions on board to co-create it with them. What's your biggest dream about this project? My biggest dream that it's that it will be realized one day and that it's a lighthouse project because especially in times of climate change and radical social transformation and high level of uncertainty you need positive visions about the future of human development that inspire and provide meaning and we need these places where this can be experienced and where it's lived and where it then can inspire a lot of other communities. So it's really about creating that, that lighthouse. Does it look like a metaverse or what's the comparison with the metaverse world? You, you mean aesthetically, how the village looks yes. like? Or, <laughs> yeah, often in the metaverse, they have this cyber, cyberpunk visions of society, which is, <laughs> I'd say for me personally, more a dystopia. Um, so... I'd like the term solar punk or hope punk, which is kind of <laughs> this futuristic but very green, organic, community-centered cities. Yeah. What would be the steps to implement the success of the village into the real life? First of all, our goal is not 
I mean, there's the long-term vision and it takes time until this is implemented. But with the toolkit I was talking before, the idea is that we have kind of a modular master plan. So all the building blocks of that regenerative village, we can already implement and test it with various area developers and cities and communities. So this is where we also then gather data and learnings of how these modules work to then later build it in the physical next generation village. And we wouldn't build like everything at once. So we would start with a small prototype community on site and then grow in a more organic way. Okay, step so, by step. Yeah, and Thomas, which will be also on a podcast, he talks about regenerative placemaking. So this is very important also for us that um, the community is involved in, in this whole process and is a co-creator and not the ones who do the master plan. And then we expect all the people to move there when it's already finished. But it's, it's really to, to onboard the pioneer citizens as co-creators. Are there other labs like this existing and uh, are you watching them? Yeah, so we see a whole wave of, we could call them startup cities emerging all around the world. So, for example, Oceanics, Telosa, there's a project called Region Villages, also Niamen in Saudi Arabia in, in the desert. So what they all have in common is that they actually rebuilt uh, new models of how we could live together um, on a green field. And it's like this has this living lab uh, character, even though there are differences uh, between, between these projects. And your project, could it be like replicated in uh, other countries or others? I'd be careful with that. So our model is particularly, I'd say, for, for a Swiss, or maybe European ecosystem. If it's in other countries, I think it always has to be embedded into the local culture. So definitely certain modules of the infrastructure system could be tested somewhere else. And the goal in the end would be that a community the other end of the planet, they could use that toolkit and just choose the modules which aligns with their values and their culture. But I wouldn't go that far to say that the whole village could be replicated in the exact same way because it always has to be embedded in the local culture. Do you either is there a city that's the closest uh, that's trying new technologies that's a bit being experimental and that's the closest to your village? Already existing already in real existing. life? Well, I think for the whole uh, solar punk movement, definitely Singapore um, has been an inspiration on, on the infrastructure lab, just how we bring green space back into cities. Now, let's uncover the visionary behind the next generation village project, Ralph himself. He founded a consulting and architectural firm. He served as an innovation consultant for the Federal Department of Foreign Affairs in Switzerland, organized unique contests where students had to come up with solutions for society's problem while inside a glass cube, when his journey began in the banking industry. How did you make the shift from uh, your banking life to what you're doing today? Yeah, well, I business background, I was 
highly active in, in the startup scenes already during my studies. Yeah, before I also worked for, for the bank, but then I, I realized that, yeah, I need an environment where I can kind of fulfill these ideas and visions I already had at that time. And so, yeah, I was for quite some time in, in the startup ecosystem. And I think also startups solve a lot of our societal problems. But it's also important to look at systems because when you solve one problem, you might create an other problems on, on that way. So I got really interested into how systems work and also wrote my, my thesis at university about how in the light of these new technologies and alternative and uh, regenerative economic system could function, so new currency, new governance, new property systems combined with the infrastructure technologies I was talking about that are driving the transition to the fourth industrial revolution. So it was... Inside I, you since Yeah, I got really yeah. into that. But the next question was also, how can we realize this in, in the world out there? So it shouldn't just stay there written in a paper. Yeah. So this is what... Yeah, now I made this transition from the researcher or like philosopher to the entrepreneur. And your process, I noticed like your way of doing things, you, you seem to um, really enjoy collaborative projects, mixing different professions, shake them, work hard and see what's coming out of it. Is it the way to go for you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm super passionate about it. And the people in our team, they are, they're passionate and it's a, quite a commitment. Sometimes it can be challenging because the people <laughs> yeah. in, in, in the team, they have quite a diverse background. I mean, you have architects, philosophers, engineers, people from the Web3 crypto space, uh, design like token economies, new governance systems. So, Different but this words. is also what it's, it's, it's very exciting to see and, and learn from these different perspectives. Yeah. And in the next phase also, bring it into society and, and have this, these discussions. And this is when I'm really also out of my comfort zone to talk with people who, who have very different perspectives. But this is what the project, what moves it forward, to go out of our bubble. I think you were interested in science fiction when you were yeah. a kid. Yes. <laughs> Still <laughs> <Is> am. <laughs> yeah. Is there something about science fiction in what you're doing? Is it an influence for you? Yeah, definitely. I've always been in interested in mythology and also science fiction and had a vivid imagination as a, as a child. And I think science fiction really helps us to, to reimagine the world and kind of open, open the, up the, the horizon. What's thought. your favorite book about sci-fi? A favorite book? Oh, that's that's that's. Oh, not favorite. One. The one who touched you probably the most. Well, I think I what definitely influenced me. It's it's the study of also utopian literature from Thomas Morrow's Utopia, mm -hmm. Francis Bacon's Nova Atlantis, also H.G. Wells' Man um, Like God, um, as an example. Um, just as an inspiration, how in different periods of times, also going back to the Greeks. I mean, it's not science fiction, but it's. Also, like how Plato and Aristoteles wrote about how the polis could function, to just it's about learning from different contexts, going back in history, but also maybe to far worlds in outer space in science fiction. 
it just opens up the, the possibilities. And that has always been a great source of, of inspiration for me. Coming to my last question, the one I'm asking to um, all the guests uh, mm -hmm. in this podcast, Harvest Series, yeah. if something easy or simple could be done and would make the world a better place, what would it be for you? Hmm. I'd say on, on an individual level, so every morning you get up, embody the change you want to see in the world. I think if, if people would yeah, take that to heart, the world would already be a much better place. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much, Thank Ralf. You. Thank you for being with yeah. us. Thanks. <laughs> I hope you found this episode insightful, discovering Ralph Arad's vision for a living laboratory where citizens, alongside public and private partners, pioneer groundbreaking systemic innovations. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us a positive review and following us on Instagram at Harvest Series. You can also catch our podcast on youtube.com slash Harvest Series. Our next episode features a snippet with Camilla Fayed, founder of the Farm to Table restaurant Pharmacy in London, discussing a vision for a pesticide-free world. Until then, stay tuned and take care.